Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Episode 21 of Coaching Inside the Box is back, and I'm excited because I've been stuck here in the United States for the last month, getting no fun, exciting trips. Andy travels off to Egypt. I shared something on social of a pretty amazing street soccer match he happened to walk across. Philippe's been touring Rio de Janeiro, going back, taking his wife, introducing him to the family, and I've just been stuck here toiling away with coaching and work. Guys, welcome back to the United States. Estados Unidos, this is awesome stuff, right? It feels good to be alive again, breathing American air. It, it does, but I don't feel bad for you because you travel internationally like three, four times a year. So It's been a while. <laughs> COVID's, COVID has interrupted that quite significantly. But you're back. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm First still time. recovering from Egypt. <laughs> no. <laughs> Any place is so cool. Like he's not excited. Egypt left an indelible memory, you know. And you know, I'm just I'm getting over it. You know, physically, yeah. mentally, in every way, I'm getting over it. Well, Egypt. The, the video you just showed me of the trash on the side of the roads and the horses running around, I'm still getting over what I saw between that horse's legs. I mean, that thing was huge. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it's kind of appropriate for for. Um, what we're going into next, which is the tryout concept. Uh, that's what I'm saying is that like, you know, like, uh, you know, there's a, the, the, a lot of people here, I think in our culture and our society look at like, you know, Friday the 13th is when people start acting crazy, right? Or, or Halloween right around Halloween, right? People start acting crazy, but us soccer coaches, it's late spring, you know, start hitting mid May, late May, early June. And every, everything goes a little bit haywire because we're coming into tryout season. And it's the time that I feel most alive as a soccer coach because I, I get to get out on my, you know, my front foot and, 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 and promote and sell and talk about all the wonderful things that I as a coach and our teams that, that, that I'm involved with and the club as a whole does for kids. But chaos. I, I've decided to apply U.S. soccer's rules for kids and soccer uh, to, um, you know, dating and and you know and from this point onwards you know finding a woman in fact um I, you know i'm gonna make marriage null and void every year just like tryouts <laughs> yeah. you know and and uh, i'm gonna be honest uh i want shelby you know so so what I'm going to do? You're going to go recruiting. No, seriously, seriously. I'm going to recruit Shelby because she's gorgeous, right? You know, and it's coming up to a year that he's been married. So you'll tell your wife Tracy, like, "Hey, Tracy, you're going to have to earn your spot back." Look, look, no, I'm serious about We've this. We've got an hour I've, session on, Ju- on I, June 10th. I've got more money than Philippe, right? I, I think I've got a better accent. You know, like American women love you know, British accents. So, so. Um, and you're the in, oldest in town. I really believe she could be mine if you don't mention my face. I don't face. rely on science to get out of bed, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if she doesn't look at my face, my body, or if, if Viagra isn't mentioned, I think she could be mine. 
but 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 tell me tell me about the National League of which you you participate in because that's all that matters to me. Sure, my kid's six and nowhere near the National League. Yeah, I took her. I homeboy's took her, ready. I took her to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, not not Egypt or England. <laughs> it was the coldest week in Rio in the last hundred years. The first week that I was there. Good, you deserve it. It was low sixties. Low sixties. Coldest week in a hundred years. Low sixties. If I want, if I go to vi- Rio, it's going to be during Car- Carnival, and I hope it's cold. <laughs> uh, yeah, during Carnival, during Carnival, I don't think you can handle it anymore. <laughs> Maybe the end uh, that used to run marathons, you know, but, and that. But what a way to go, huh? <laughs> okay, Philippe. So, you, so you were in Brazil. Did you play it all while you were down there? No. Not no even soccer. didn't even touch. Don't, not uh, on the beach with my friends. We play like a, a juggling game. You know, it's very common foot volley too. Um, just when we, I was on the beach, but not really. I was more into obviously first time my wife got to meet my mom, my sister, and first time she got to be in Rio, my hometown. So I wanted to, you know, spend all the time with my family that I hadn't seen in two and a half years. And with her and showing her around and also my friends. Um, so just basically toured the city, went to multiple beaches and, you know, different mountains, different viewpoints, different different tourist um, places and, you know, bars, restaurants, you know, just enjoying the best of the food and, you know, nightlife in a sense. So S- Sometimes it's kind of fun to be a tourist in your hometown. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You, yeah. It's quite 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 funny that it was the first time that I went to the Christ and Redeemer and the Sugarloaf, which probably the most two iconic um, tourist places in South America. Yeah. And they are literally by my house, like 10, 15 minutes. I can see the Christ through my window and I had never been there in all my almost 30 years. So it was f- cool to actually share that experience with my wife, um, and actually, it's it's mind blowing. It's beautiful up there. It's insane. And you hear what he did there? He's rubbing it in that he's still in his twenties. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just digesting the fact that he's a heathen because he didn't visit Christ the Redeemer. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just can't wrap my mind about that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for the lightning bolt to come from above. <laughs> well, to be fair, you did send me through some photos of um, of a pitch, a, 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 a field, that mm-hmm. you, I don't know, field may not be the right term, yeah. but that you played on a ton growing up. Yeah. And I responded back, no, give me some, some video of kids playing. And so I held out on posting it on our socials, but I'll share, I'll share the, the, the field that built Philippe. I'll share it on our socials. Yeah. I, I no, think it'd be that, good to see. That, that's one of the, the fields. We usually, when that happened when I was like teenager, we would, you know, get put teams together with your friends, like no coaches, not anything. You just you and your friends that are good at soccer. You talk and create a team, and we we would even like make jerseys and stuff. And we would, you know, these fields you have to rent uh, to play. There's are nights like turf fields, five v five, six v six, not more than that. And we would bet the the losing team had to pay for the the rental. So it was like madness. It was like tough competition and like we had the teams from the other neighborhoods that were rivals and stuff you know and obviously everybody's broke teenage boys you know and they nobody wants to pay the field rental so we're betting and hoping to to win the game and 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 not have to pay you know and have the money to you know 
maybe too soon, but to have beers afterwards. So it was, it was, it was fun. That's good. Well, um, so we're going to talk about tryouts today because uh, it's around the corner for us. But we're going to talk it talk about it from our own unique spin, right? Not the function and how we operate our tryouts necessarily. I'm sure that'll come up, but the value that the approach that 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 the way that we teach and the culture that we create and the environment that we create for our kids to become really dynamic, deceptive dribblers that can put the ball in the back of the net, the value that that brings to them as players. As, as tryout players, right? Um, Andy, when you when you first started digging into this and, and using this approach or this philosophy and creating these environments for us as players when we were kids, was part of your grandmaster plan to develop really great players for tryouts, future tryouts, high school tryouts, college tryouts, pro tryouts? Well, let me let me read this because you know this is something I wanted to lead with. Vision is the gift of seeing clearly what may be. Vision expands our horizons. The more we see, the more we can achieve. The grander our vision, the more glorious our accomplishment. The courage to follow our dreams is the first step towards destiny. Right? And what we have done in, you know, in, in America, and I, I would imagine that you know, in certain other places around the world, is we've created um, like fiefdoms where coaches um, want to deny kids the opportunity to enjoy those fiefdoms unless they make a, you know, a lifelong commitment you know, and a commitment you know, after death from the grave you know, financially, you know, spiritually, whatever it might be, to their program. You know, and so you've got situations like, and the, the classic hypocrisy was when the DA started, right? The DA started, and what rule did the DA have, right, that, that you know, that was very unusual for a youth soccer organization? You couldn't play high school, right? Well, yeah, they, they were year-round. Yeah. So the DA said, you know, you have to play year-round with us. You know, nobody's going to get on a, a DA roster, you know, if you leave for three months and go and play high school. And guess who squawked and cried like babies when that, you know, when the DA came in? Uh, high school coaches? High school coaches. You know, and here's the hypocrisy is the high school coaches for years have been saying what to the players during high school season? You can't play club. You can't play club. Yeah. And yet all of a sudden... It switches. Yeah, the shoe was on the other foot, you know? And, and they're screaming and crying and shouting and making all this noise and threatening. And, you know, it, it was brutal. And I'm, you know, sitting back with, you know, and my, our club hasn't ever been DA, but I'm sitting, sitting back and watching these hypocrites... They've had it all their own way for three months of the year, you know, and incidentally, three months in which Legends players go backwards because their coaches in high school and their peer players in high school are just beating up our players who can beat people and score great goals to pass, 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 calling them greedy, calling them ball hogs. So it's an incredibly intimidating atmosphere for the Legends players who've been taught to play like Brazilians, you know, and so... You know, I've been watching this whole thing go down, but, you know, my kids wanted to play high school, so they play high school. I'm not going to restrict them. So during high school, they can't play for me because the high school rules won't let them. Not because that I'm stopping them playing for me as well. The high schools are doing it. 
So you have the very people that are supposed to have the kids' interests in mind that want kids to do extra homework and read around the topic, you know, and this is high school, it's school, right? These people are supposed to be encouraging education outside of school, wherever, and these very people that are supposed to be encouraging education are telling the kids while they play for them, you can't get education about this subject anywhere else but here. You know, and it's totally perverse. It makes no sense. I mean, you've brought up two things that I didn't plan on going down. One is the DA or these ECNL-type national leagues um, that are invite-only, and then um, uh, and then high school. I'd love to explore both of them in time. Um, uh, but when we talk about tryouts and the value – I loved high school soccer. I mean, it had its, it had its negatives. But I think that, that, that what made high school fun for me, particularly as a freshman making varsity, was that I showed up the first day of tryouts ready to play, right? And, like, I just went at players and dribbled up players and created space and was trying to put the ball in the back of the net and all the 5v5 and 6v6 stuff. Conversely, the same thing happened to me my first eight weeks in, uh, on the college team. Um, and I think it's largely because we as a club have focused on creating players that walk into a new environment. They're like, give it to me. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make something happen and not just play the way we face and try to play it safe, but really create and go for it. And in tryout setting, you've got an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, a limited amount of time to impress a coach. And so it's not, can, does this guy ever lose the ball? No, right? Because I'm looking at 30 kids at once or the ODP trout. I'm looking at 150 kids at once. What can this kid do that's special? You know, male or female, what can they do that's a little bit different? And, and I think that that's one of the greatest values of the way in which we train is we allow players to, to do that. So when they get to that moment, that showcase moment, they can do something special, something unique. But there's, and I hope we all recognize this. There's a huge difference between boys and girls. Oh, hundred percent. So, you know, you have always been out on the ragged edge anyway, you know, but there's some boys that would go into the high school environment and they shrink. Sure. You know, they don't do what you did, which is, oh, yeah, I've got people that don't know how I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this move, I'm going to kill people. You know, well, what happens with girls is, that, you know, the girls are socialized to be mothers. So they're lovers, they're mothers, they're nurturers. Boys are socialized to be, you know, hunters, warriors. You know, this is psychological fact. You know, and I'm generalizing. You know, obviously there's girls that are more like boys and you know, boys that are more like girls and there's transgender and, you know, whatever. But, you know, what we've got here is we've got a situation where girls go into high school and they're young to start with, they're freshmen, and there's seniors in high school that are established and they're captains of the program and, you know, they're all about get it, give it, and the coaches about X's and O's and they've got systems and patterns, you know, and a Legends player goes into high school and she gets the ball, beats three players and puts the ball in the net. That's not enjoyed by many of her teammates, the older teammates, you know, and they come down pretty hard over time on these, you know, these phenoms with the ball that make incredible things happen when they've got the ball at their feet. It's much tougher to play the legend's way because everybody's kind of jealous when they see people doing a marathon turn and destroying a defender and they can't do it. So all your teammates, the people that are supposed to be on your side, you know, there's now an element of jealousy and, you know, and hell has no fury like a woman scorned is the old saying, right? And there's, there's more than a grain of truth to that, you know, because, you know, females don't forgive and forget like guys do. You know, guys will duke it out and, you know, get into a fist fight and a lot of guys just walk away and it's over and they're pals again afterwards. And it doesn't happen so much. 
you know, and uh, on the female side of, you know, I know I'm generalizing, but, you know, it, it's it's a really tough environment, you know, and, and I've had a bunch of kids personally that have gone into that environment and struggled and suffered through that environment. And it's it's just very difficult for a female to go into that environment and not very quickly start to lose some of that brave creative leadership that we build, you know, because of things that misguided coaches say, you know, the, their teammates, the seniors, the juniors, you know, to the, the peon freshmen, you know, and, you know, certain programs are enlightened. Like we've got a kid called Aniston Kamantak. I just posted this on my Facebook page and Aniston got a huge write-up because her team, St. Thomas Aquinas, won the Kansas State Championship. She played for us for years. She learned to dribble, to shoot. She's a midfielder. She defends like a dog. She's great in the one-on-one, great in the two-on-two, you know, and she's been part of the national team program. And she went into high school and she had a very enlightened coach, you know, and he highlighted the things that she's doing. That's rare that a freshman goes in, has that type of impact on the varsity team, gets that type of coverage. Mm-hmm. More often than not, our players go in and they're actually vilified. They're actually brought down. You know, they're not pumped up and, and promoted. Particularly on the women's side. And, right, I mean, it, I mean, it happens on both sides. But what you just said is literally what I talk about at tryout times when I'm talking to parents, specifically specifically parents of, of females, about the value of legends is, you know, progress doesn't happen by trying to fit in. And, 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 and people get that, right? And so if, if you want your daughter to be a leader, if you want your daughter to, to push progress forward, um, in our society, she's got to she's got to live in a culture and an environment that's going to encourage her to go for it and make mistakes and be okay when the rest of the poppy field tries to pull her back. Right, right. And and there's a great saying that that um, you know nobody likes a contrarian, but all serious progress in the history of humankind has always been made by the contrarian, not the sheep that just follow the current system. The ones that say, ah, you know, this system's not working. It, it can be improved. We should be doing this instead of this. You know, willing to think outside of the box and do something different. So if we want to make progress, we have to train leaders. And leaders, you know, take us to places that we haven't been before. Mm-hmm. So they have to be contrarians in order to be a good leader. You know, otherwise you're just going to be a, you know, a, a number, you know, an employee in a big company or something. You know, and that's not how we make progress. You know, so we have to train contrarians, you know, and I think that's the the ultimate value of what we do. We train the contrarians, you know, and nowhere is this more apparent than in the tryout process. You know, I, I give you an example, you know, like Holly came to practice for the Legends Club for years. She didn't know she was different, you know, and, you know, I say to her, hey, look, I think you should try out for ODP. She goes to ODP and now there's only you know, a couple of uh, Legends teammates at ODP but most people are from other clubs and all of a sudden she's just killing people left and right with her moves, you know, and she, you know, they know what she's going to do to a certain degree in our practices. So she didn't have that type of success, but in ODP, she first thought to herself, I'm good. I'm really good because she was beating people and scoring goals left, right and center, you know, and I think we covered this in another episode, but you know, she, she tries out for us football, you know, and she's selected for the national team a year up. She goes to Columbia, South America, and the very first time she played in a competitive game, not just a tryout scrimmage, the very t- first time she played in a competitive game of futsal 
was for the USA futsal national team. I'm not sure this ever happened in any other sport before. So she'd never, ever played futsal, actually played the game with the rules, with the referee, until she played for the US national team. Well, that doesn't happen unless you focus intensely on making individuals contrarians, mm -hmm. making them brilliant, taking them to a whole different level. You know, and that's what we're focusing on here is not the mechanics of tryout. Tryouts, w you know, we can easily tell people how we run our tryouts, and that's very different. But we're focusing on developing the tryout player so that they're the ones that get selected for the next level of play. One thing that I always tell my players is you, if you're going to go to a high school team or, you know, a few years from now, you're going to try to get into a professional team or college, you cannot go there to fit in the system. You got to go in thinking that you're going to be the player that the coach is going to change the system because you're that good. So they're going to change the system because of you. That's the mentality you got to have. If you just go to try to fit in and please the coach because you're thinking, oh, if I do what the coach is asking me to do, I'm going to be on the starting lineup. That's a mistake because everybody else is going to be doing that. Everybody's going to be doing what the coach wants. Play safe, play backwards, keep the ball, don't take risks. But if you do the different, oh, it's, it's funny how it works, but you start doing the difference. You start doing having success at it, the coach is going to be, okay, everybody else, two touches, he can do his thing or he, she can do her thing. You know what I mean? So that's the mentality you got to have. Make the coach change the system to fit you because he needs you on the field, you know? And that, that's the mentality a player can have. Tryouts, as you mentioned, an hour, maybe that's even too much. The coach will look at you for five minutes sometimes because there's so many kids. They don't know the kids' names. They're looking at the number. There's so many numbers they can see. They're looking at the color of your shoe, the color of your hair, you know, if you're tall. You know, they're looking for that thing to, like, kind of highlight. So I always tell my kids, dye your head pink, <laughs> go with orange shoes, weird socks, something that already makes you stand out. And when you get on the ball, you got to do what's different. You got to be creative. I always tell everybody, I signed a professional contract at 19 for Fluminense, one of the biggest clubs in Brazil and arguably top two, three academies in, in South America, maybe top five in the world. They developed so many players. I wasn't good enough to play on that team, but I absolutely killed it at tryouts. And then I started training with the team for a few weeks, you know, so they could compare. And I killed it because I was so motivated. Every time I got the ball, I was trying to do stuff different. So I lost the ball many times, but I was able to score some fantastic goals because I had a great shot, was able to take people 1v1, cut in and, and score. And they were like, mm, this kid has potential. So they, they batted on me, you know. Um, so I was a good trial player because I had that mentality of like, I can do the different. I literally, I used to play at that time more, Brazil was m much more of a 4-4-2 um, uh, system at that time. And I usually play left mid on the four. And I, in tryouts, I played, uh, mid I played striker. And I came all the way back to get the ball from the midfield. Because if I played striker, I was never going to get the ball. So I would go all the way back to the midfield to get the ball. Because I wanted the ball and I wanted to do everything. Because I wanted to send out. So it's just... It's a different way to do things, you know, and I think, as Andy mentioned, the Legends Club, the way we run tryouts, we actually force the kids to do that. 
And that's what's great. We put the kids in the situation that they have to do what's different. Otherwise, they're not going to succeed in our tryouts. But I love to hear that you're talking to your players now about future tryouts, right? Like, I think that that, that approach is one that, that really helps put put everything into perspective for the kid. I mean, within reason, right? Kids only hear half of what we say, but everything in perspective for the kid, like go and do something. Like, and and it, when, if you want to be ready for that, that tryout at the high school level, the college level, or the academy level, or whatever it is, right? You've got, you've got to put the effort in so you can flip a switch and turn it on and go for it. Um, and, and I think that's really important. And that's, I think, an advantage kids have today that my generation of players didn't have. You kept, Andy, you kept trying to paint that picture for us. But I had that same experience that Holly had when I showed up to ODP the first time at 10 or 11. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough, right? And, like, it took me, I don't know, 15 minutes into the session to realize, like, I am way better than everything here. And immediately the coaches started mentioning, oh, man, he's great stuff like are your ability to go at players and take players on is what's making you a bit different and a bit special here and it certainly filled me up with like okay the future could be really bright for me in this game so so odp is an individual program yes you know of course it's you know they play games in the you know it's team program but it's designed to identify players for the national team so we got to realize here that odp is a whole different paradigm than team soccer in clubs because team soccer in clubs is not designed to get players to the highest level. It's designed to win. Mm -hmm. So what we've got here is we've got with ODP a program that focuses on the individual. So it's a different mentality. And, you know, same with the U.S. futsal tryouts that Holly attended when she made the national team. You know, you know the, the tryout that we first attended just for fun was a road trip. And we never played futsal before. And so we went to Wisconsin, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was run by a gentleman called Keith Tozer. And Keith is now also the MLS commissioner. You know, but, you know, Keith is... not MLS. Uh, sorry. Uh, thank you. You know, thank you. <laughs> it's hard to keep all of these num letters <laughs> together, right? Because it's, it's a big difference. <laughs> you, you've got to keep your employer happy and make sure that yeah, you know, that correct. Identify them correctly. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, Keith, uh, loving to death. You know, is, we went up to Keith after the the tryout in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you know, and I, I like to encourage my kids to you know ask for advice of people that are knowledgeable, obviously. And uh, Holly went up to him, and I was kind of a couple of paces behind Holly's shoulder, and, and she said, Mr. Toza, thank you very much for, you know, having me to the tryout, and um, just wondered what advice you would give me for the future. And, and Keith was fantastic. You know, he, he stopped and really thought about it, and he said, don't change a thing. Keep taking people on. Keep trying to make the big plays. You know, keep, keep doing amazing things with the ball at your feet. You know, just try and do more of it, you know, and, and be that incredible individual that changes the game. You know, and, uh, and, and then, of course, Holly went to the final tryouts and we thought that she'd got ditched because, you know, she wasn't on the, the roster in her own age group until we got an email saying she made the roster a year up and she'd never played football before. So, so you know, we're in a situation where, um, and, and I wanted to read this to, to everybody because I think it's, it's very important. So stay with me here. As the training soccer legends philosophy evolved... The importance of training players that were capable of being selected to the highest level of player, of play, sorry, became more and more evident. Any coaching system should be judged solely by its ability to develop players with the necessary attributes for competing at the upper echelon of play. 
whether that level be high school, varsity, state, regional or national ODP, college or professional. After 15 years of refining the Training Soccer Legends approach, actually it's now 33, uh, this is from my book, I can state categorically that there is no better system for earning a spot at the highest representative level than this approach. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, and we've got to train individuals, but most coaches train their teams like robots to win. You know, and they don't train individuals to be incredible, you know, to take their team to a whole different level, hopefully take the U.S. national team to a whole different level, win World Cups, do what Brazil have done multiple times because Brazil has, through a whole bunch of reasons that Felipe has explained, has got a culture that promotes the individual more than any other soccer-playing country in the world. You know, but the U.S. is very much about coach-centric play. And coaches feel that they have to win for their own ego, you know, and they can beat their chest at the water cooler on Monday morning if they win. But they can't, even if their players played brilliantly as individuals, you know, and they were unlucky and lost by, you know, a lucky goal, own goal or whatever, you know, they feel that, you know, that they somehow, they, they're ashamed of that because they lost. And so their value around the water cooler on Monday morning isn't as high because they didn't win. Even if they're developing fantastic players, they feel that somehow life's missing something because they're not winning every game. But here's the conundrum. You have to lose in order to win with our style. You with, have with to, any style. Yeah, you've got to go for it. Yeah. You've, you've got to push the edge of the envelope, which means you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, you screw up. You lose the ball. You know, and, and that's, you know, you, you mentioned tryouts and, you know, and, you know, People want to know what they have to do to fit in with the team that they're joining. You know, we take everybody in the Legends Club. We take absolutely everybody, and we find the right place within our teams. You know, wherever we need to put these kids in order for them to develop, we do. You know, we give them opportunities to join in with multiple practices, you know, and we encourage them to be incredible individuals because life is both an individual and a team sport. And we shouldn't be looking with kids of whether or not we're making a fortune, whether or not we're winning games. You know, we should be looking with every kid at optimizing potential, not outcomes. It's got to be process. And practice by practice, game by game, we've got to encourage them to play like a really, really good tryout player, which means you've got one hour, you've got an hour and a half in tryouts. You've got to impress the college coach and show them something special so that they're going to pick you for their team. You've got to impress the club coach, show them something special. We prepare the players that show the people at the next level something incredibly special, and that's why we've had unbelievable success getting kids to the next level of play. What did Peter Vermees say? You know, he runs our opponents in Kansas City. If I remember, it was if only Andrew Clifton would have grown a little bit more, we'd have had him on the first team. <laughs> Isn't that what he said? No, he didn't know who if you were. If only Philippe came to America a few years earlier. <laughs> I said, you know, do you know Andrew Clifton? He said, I think that's my trash collector. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Peter said that, that, and this was at a meeting of all the major clubs, so he didn't make any friends with the rest of the coaches in the room because they were directors from all the major clubs in Kansas City, and he was trying to get them to give their best players to sport in Kansas City so that those kids would have a chance to play pro. You know? and, and so, but 
Peter said, there's only one club in this room I really, really respect, and that's the Casey Legends, because they have prepared more, historically, more players for the Wizards and Sporting KC than all the rest of you guys, the clubs, the other clubs in Kansas City combined in the history of soccer in Kansas City. And Kyle and I, Kyle being the executive director of our club, we were gobsmacked. Was, he really said that? You know, because it was the wrong thing to say in order to make friends in that room. Things turned frosty real quick when he came up with that gem of information. You know, but Peter recognizes that what we've done is different. It's special. And as a result, our players are the ones that they've wanted to sign to professional contracts. Yeah, so the advice that I have for, for, for parents is 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 encourage your kids to go for it and to make mistakes right from a coaching perspective at tryouts i'm not looking for a finished product most coaches aren't right they're, they're looking for somebody with potential you said it yourself like philippe like i made a ton of mistakes in that tryout for fluminese but they picked me they they put money on me they bet on me because they saw potential they're looking for potential and potential is only seen if you're making mistakes right like the like because if you make no mistakes in a tryout well, he's hit a ceiling. <laughs> like there's nowhere up, where else to go, right? And so, the, uh, from a tryout process, you've got to be looking. You've got to be encouraging your kids and putting your kids in in environments and cultures that are going to encourage them to go for it and to make mistakes. And and, and you've got to get your foot on the door. So, like for you to get your foot on the door, you need to stand out. Like yeah. once you make it, make the team, then you're there. Then you can, you know, develop. And you know, I I I've played with players that. Like, for example, Fabinho from Liverpool, center mid. For nowadays, he won a few cha couple of Champions Leagues. He, you know, played in the Brazilian national team, won the EPL. He was, like, player 20 in Fluminense when we were there. But he got the opportunity when he uh, went to, well, he w went to Portugal for a little bit, then signed for Real Madrid B, took the opportunity, and then from there, Monaco, Liverpool, he just took opportunities and... While when he got to that system, you know, playing with the best competition and all that kind of stuff, he grew. But he obviously had to get his foot on the door, right? He had to take the opportunity. So the trial process is super important for these kids in the future if they want to advance the game. They need to get their foot on the door. They need to get the opportunity, you know, and they got to make it. And then after that, they can you know, develop with that group or whatever. So it's it's very important to have that different mentality. Yeah, you're going to love this. Philippe's going to love this. It's a, it's a favorite quote of mine. It, it, listen to this. It's by Albert Hubbard. One machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men, but no machine can do the work of one extraordinary man. Bingo. How brilliant is that? Bingo, bingo, bongo. Yeah. You know, That's you fantastic. think of all the famous people yeah. in history, the, you know, the Victor Frankls, the Albert Einsteins, you know, the list goes on and on. We all know tons of them, right? Those of us that read, you know, and that's what it's all about. So it's our job, you know, to create the tryout player because the tryout player, the person that walks into a tryout, scores three goals, does six Maradona turns, you know, gets another three assists. You know, that's the player that is extraordinary and no system of tactics. Nothing you can do with, you know, ordinary players is going to make them World Cup winners if they don't have extraordinary players on their team. You, right? you, look, at, you look at Brazil from 1970, 
I mean, a re- a regular coach would not put that lineup together because there were four number tens playing at the same time. I'm pretty sure you only one number per team. Well, they were all in oh, their they teams. Tens, okay. Yeah, they in their team they were all number tens. They all played. They he adjusted the formation. Well, even Carlos Alberto as a right back, he could play as a 10, you know? So, like, they they put all the best players together and made the system for them to flourish, you know? And a lot of coaches, they don't have that. They want to, oh, no, I cannot pl- put these two guys together. Who is going to defend? Who is going to, you know, do the dirty work? I mean, if if you create the right player and you find a way to put all those, that's, that's for me, it's being the good coach. Making sure you are able to put the best 11 players on the field. Then position tactics, you can adjust because these players are fantastic. I, I'd like to just discuss for just a moment a, um, a, a theme that I see happen oftentimes this time of year. And I've noticed this for the last, I don't know, 15 years that I've been coaching club is that I always have a couple conversations every year with parents or coaches, most often parents, of them saying, you know, I really appreciated this space that I've had for my kid to grow and develop and, 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 and learn to be more creative and deceptive and willing to go for it and make mistakes. But in order for my kid to reach his goals, they don't say this explicitly, but this is what they're saying. I've got to politically align my kid somewhere else so they can get politically connected to the right coach or the right program that's more closer, closely connected to ECNL or whatever BS crap thing that's out there, the Sporting KC Academy or whatnot, and for them to reach their next level. And like, at, on its face, I genuinely, that, that makes me want to throw up. Right. The thought process of like, look, for my kid to make where they need to go, I need to shortchange their development for a little bit. I need to take some, take some steps backward so that they can become friendly with somebody that we need them to, to be friendly with to achieve their next. And I'm just like, what kind of environment and culture and, and, and future society do you want to live in? Like, this isn't the former Soviet bloc. We don't live in Russia, right? We should be giving our kids the opportunity to continue to grow and develop. And if they've earned it, they've earned it. Um, so anyways. Uh, it, it, that, it's that, super that, simple. That was a good run. It, well, I, I mean, I was just chatting to somebody who I know listens to this podcast, and so he'll hear this, and he was talking about, um, you know, I want to get his, his, his daughter's team over to uh, um, another club that has ECNL status. They don't, ECNL's not possible for the team for another two years. And so, like, I'm genuinely, like, befuddled by the thought process of putting your kids in a different environment so they can get access to the ECNL, of which the ECNL is bullshit anyways. Like, nobody likes no promotion relegation. Nobody likes likes the idea that they love promotion relegation in Europe. Everybody hated the super European soccer league where Chelsea and Man City and Arsenal, that's what the ECNL is. There's no actual value to the ECNL, right, other than just making some friends and creating a monopoly and ensuring that nobody else has access to it. It's not based on winning. It's not, I mean... It's not even based on winning. It's not even based on development. It's just access to stuff because you're friendly with the right people. It's complete and other, and and it's, it's, it's crap. The entire thing is crap, and it's built on this European soccer league thing. And I just, I hate that about this 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 thing, and everybody hates it. Everybody hates it, except they love it, which and is it, so dumb. And it's extremely expensive. You see kids that are 13, 14 years old getting on airplanes every weekend to go play and honestly if you look at it they most of those teams they're not allowed to play 
uh, state cup competitions and other stuff like that, they don't have as many games as, you know, a normal club team like our teams do. And here's the thing. Do you know why this is all happening and why why these clubs keep pushing those concepts down people's throats? It's because they don't have anything to differentiate themselves. Exactly. So they need 100%. a title like that, 100%. something to say, oh, we have this, we played this competition and this competition is the best. So they're literally third-partying yeah. the benefit 100%. to being on their club. They're not saying our coaches are better, our curriculum is better, we develop better players. We're, it's... Like, we're on this thing that gets more exposure, you know. Come play for us. and you, But, yeah, we're not going to do much. Well, we're going to get good players, so we might win some games. But, like, you're not going to actually develop. But, yeah, you're going to be get looks. But they're going to look at you and be like, you're just one in a hundred. You're, you're the same. You're not the different. Yeah, 100%. But the, the, the one big issue I have with the ECNL concept is... It is a recruiting versus development concept. Which means it limits our ceiling as a soccer society. Yeah. And, you know, what What the ECNL coaches that I know personally uh, have done mostly is, uh, for example, from our club, you know, is our club is the most heavily recruited club in Kansas City. You know, people come after our players left, right and center, you know, number one, because they can't develop this type of player on their own. You know, so if they're going to have somebody that can turn a game, score a great goal. I, I, I reject that they can't. They can. They're choosing not to. They choose not to. Yes. You know, so they, you know, this is, that's a historical con. It's too yep. much work. It's too yeah, much work. It's too it's, hard. Well, you have to lose a lot. You have to lose a lot. You know, you, you have to, you know, you have to. And I don't to mean games. I mean individually. You've got to let your kids fail and, and make mistakes. Yeah. So, so, you know, you have to go through a lot of humbling experiences. You know, the kids do and the coaches you know, in order to have the rich rewards of development that make individuals brilliant on the far side. So, you know, I wanted to kind of tell this story, and it's involving your team and uh, the... the It's uh, a good story. The, the Blue Chip, you know, college showcase. And, uh, you know, in, in the first matchup of, of this showcase, um, we played a state champion team from Detroit, Michigan, uh, one of the strongest Midwestern soccer cities, and... Um, we lost the toss, and the other team gave us the kickoff. And Jesse Baker uh, took the ball from a short kickoff, uh, committed an on-rushing opponent, uh, faked a pass out to Brian Williams, and then performed a beautiful Maradona turn, you know, fake pass Maradona, and uh, beat, beat his player. And, you know, he slipped in behind the opposition's midfield, you know, took a shot, and, you know, and the ball hit the bar and went for a goal kick, you know, and... And then, um, you know, a little, you know, just as a play later, Brian got the ball, did double scissors, beat a player, you know, and it resulted again in another shot on goal. And I had decided to take a different approach, you know, during this game. You know, sure, I was aware that that stuff had happened, but that was, you know, de rigueur for our team. That happened all the time. So it wasn't anything special for me. It was what I expected. You know, of course, it was special for other people. And here's where that evidence was clear as a bell, because... I had chosen to watch the college coaches on the sidelines. Which, I mean, which, uh, 100 coaches? 75? I yeah. mean, it was a ton of coaches. A, a lot of people showed up. You know, at Blue Chip, they used to be the you know one of the top two or three showcases in the country. My team's always got access because, you know, they were national indoor champions. You know, everybody knew us as being tremendously skillful. And, you know, it's in the Midwest where our reputation was really good. And, and so... 
So we always got selected for this blue chip showcase. And I'm watching the college coaches and for minutes when, you know, teams in other games are passing the ball around, the coaches didn't make any over move, you know, and, and there used to be at least a college coach uniform. You know, the college turned up, got out their, you know, their portable stool, you know, sat down. A lot of college coaches had sunglasses on. They had a backpack, you know, and they'd sit there and watch a game, you know. And so I'm watching the college coaches, watching my players. And it was fascinating because they had their notebook in front of them you know, in the days before they used cell phones to take notes and stuff. And, and so one of my players would do a marathon turn, beat a player, you know, and do something. And the college coaches almost unanimously put their heads down and started making notes, you know. And then I'd watch them, you know, the other team would get the ball and they'd pass and pass and pass and pass. No response from the college coaches. You know, they'd just sit there. And my kid gets a ball and does, you know, a scissors, beats a player, you know, puts a through ball for another player to go in on goal. College coaches almost unanimously heads down and making notes, you know. And this happened all game long, and I just watch my players play. They're at a stage where they're U17, they're on the cusp of college, they don't need me shouting on the sideline. They knew what to do, you know, and it was fascinating because, you know, it, virtually every time our players did something individually special, college coaches, as a group, en masse, made notes. And then it was interesting, after these showcases, I would get phone call after phone call after phone call from college coaches from all over the country that had been at our game saying, tell me about number six, tell me about number 10. You know, and the reason was because these players could do more. They were obviously totally comfortable on the ball. They're deceptive on the ball. They could beat players in the one-on-one. -on -one. You know, at the very least, they could do a fake and move, create space, and play a penetrating pass. But they were players that could create penetration for a college team. You know, and so they were in high demand. That's the value of creating the tryout player. That's the value. And some of these kids came and tried out for us. And, you know, we took them because we take everybody. You know, not because the, we thought they had amazing potential, but they rose up out of the pack and they really took our philosophy to heart and they turned into players that could play at the highest level. I'm going to I'm going to tell more another I'm going to tell your story about that game that you left out here but if you remember and I think I'll jog your memory as I start talking the coach of the, the French Michigan coach. team was French yeah. and before the game you walk up to him and say good luck coach which I've made a habit of always almost always doing before games even now uh, good luck coach and he, I think we'd finished second in state that year so we were we, we were not as 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 vaulted as perhaps uh, other teams might be and he said ah, we won't need it totally confident that they were just going to kick our butt that game right and this is a showcase this is not a game that matters any other than just putting us out in front of college coaches and uh and you said oh well, that seems a little bit odd jesse and ba and and uh jesse baker and brian williams do that off the kickoff and he whistles like a dog you know hands in his mouth whistles and you as you put it the neanderthal of the team you know the six foot five lifts his head the axe murder yeah the axe murder like well, wh who's my assignment now coach and 
he says, mark him, right? Assuming that he's going to man mark, I think, Jesse Baker's. Usually, him or Ryan Coffin are most often the guys man marked on a team. And so he goes to man mark him. Ten minutes pass where Paulie Hanna's coming out of the right back with double scissors. I mean, just skill everywhere. And he turns to look at the coach and he says, which one? Insinuating, like, who am I supposed to man mark? Because they're all doing it. We ended up beating him 5-1. I scored a diving header that game. Um, but that showcase specifically, I mean, I, uh, Long Island University in New York City, College of Charleston, University of Memphis, so many Division One schools recruited me specifically from that event as a result of us being special and different. Um, I and remember that diving header. Yeah, it was off yeah. the corner kick. Yeah, you tripped and just at Not the right true. time, Not and true. the ball hit your head and went in. I caught it on the if back. It was a show head. with his feet. It was ten yards over the bar. For being five foot nine, I was great in the air. <laughs> drinking before games helps. You know, it helps you trip and get low. You know. Uh. Uh, but like I'll, I'll be honest for example the national league i think is good uh you you earn your spot if you do well and it's not necessarily now they started uh an arm that is more club based but you know teams can apply on their own and earn their spot and and, and do that and you know find some other competition i i see value in it i just i just don't like the the all these different leagues coming along, forming new leagues, and everybody trying to prove that they're, the league that they're on is better, and they're using that to recruit kids. That shouldn't be the case. They should recruit the kids and then give the kids those opportunities. But th th that shouldn't be the focus of the recruiting. Like, you got to show what you can do for your player, you know, by making the players better. And if they, they get better, you know, They'll, they'll have those opportunities. Uh, my biggest thing is that when 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 the the club structure that we currently have in the United States is built around the most politically connected clubs locking out everybody else so as to ensure that they continue to have exclusive access to recruiting or whatever it might be, that limits our ceiling as a soccer nation. A hundred percent. And 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 so when our most politically connected clubs are are genuinely looking to limit our ceiling as a soccer nation to ensure that they have the greatest business uh, uh, possibilities as everybody else. That's my genuine issue. It's the same with the Euro the Super League that they wanted to create in Europe. It doesn't make sense. It's not healthy. It's not. It's it 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 doesn't grow the game to the greatest degree. It just puts puts the best players at the time together. And iron doesn't sharpen iron if it's vanilla iron. If it's sideways and backwards passing. If it's built around winning. And so the whole concept is wrongheaded and backward. And 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 the thing is, is if you catch these if if you catch these parents and coaches on the side and have they all say the same thing but that's what we got to do and like by golly it's not what we have to do not unless we live in russia where it's all built on right uh, of of who you know and and the um the oligarch uh, nepotism nepotism of it all. so so let me let me jump in here because you know we we have a situation where one of our rival clubs in kansas city won a national championship here you know a couple of years ago and uh, the they won a national championship, you know, with five players that left our club that we had developed into phenomenal dribblers, goal scorers. And these five players were the five players that, according to all the reports I heard, and certainly with the top two players who scored most of the goals and got most of the assists, had they not had these five legends players that we trained on their team, 
they wouldn't have even come close to getting out of regional play into the national finals. You know, but they won the national championship because these players, you know, out of this 18-player squad, were the ones that could step on the field, beat people, score great goals, and make the huge positive difference for this club. But I ask everybody that's listening, you know, should we be prouder and happier for winning a national championship with players that we didn't develop? I mean, not just those five players. The club doesn't exist below the age of 11 or 12. So none of the players are their players. Yeah. So, the, you know, they're obviously, yeah, they're not developing players themselves no. from, the, from, you know, the, the, the word go. You know, but you know, what we've got here is we've got obvious evidence because, you know, these are the players that are making the big plays and scoring the great goals. You know, and this has happened. You know, this is just one example. This has happened, happened time and again, year after year after year, that some of our best players leave and join the recruiting club, you know, to be part of this entity, you know, and which up until the, the change in the college coach recruiting rules, now, you know, the girls cannot commit to a college program until their junior year. And it used to be that they could commit at any time. I've got, and I'm not going to mention his name, an incredibly good old friend that's incredibly uh, accomplished in the college scene, you know, who I was with a few years ago. And he said, Andy, don't judge me. I just recruited a 12-year-old. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he was like, yeah, I know it's ridiculous, but everybody else is doing it. So I've got to do it. And she really is special. And he was right. She's proved to be ter- you know, incredibly special. And so special that she didn't follow through with her commitment to that college program. She went straight to the pros as a, as a 16-year-old. <laughs> you know, so, so you know, this, this perverse system that we've got focuses on where can I be playing in order to get showcased instead of what they should be focused on is where can I be playing in order to be developed Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, to be a braver, more creative leader, and to be that one player that can make the difference in a game. You know, and our club is making it really difficult as time goes by for these other clubs that just recruit, because we're doing such a great job of development that they really have to say, "Do I want to join another club and actually go backwards as an individual player?" You know, or should I stay with the legends in order to continue to develop? You know, and can I still achieve my objectives if I stay with the legends? You know, because the legends are maybe not part of the ECNL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, again, like, not to beat a dead horse, but the, just to use, the, and we say ECNL, it could be the DA, it could be the GA, it could be the EA or whatever else is out there, right? Uh, but ECNL's, those are gone, though. I, well, I think the EA and GA are it changes every, It yeah. changes every day. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but <laughs> it does. Uh, it's whoever has the political power at the moment. Uh, um, but um, the... The players that play even at the highest level there, right? Like, like they're going to end up as college players, and if they're not going to go play at Florida State or at you know North Carolina or at UCLA, and I'm talking about players that live in Kansas City, if they're going to end up playing at a Big Twelve school anyway, they never needed the ECL to begin with. Like, it's just. Oh, at one point, they all the scholarship that they'll get in college, they're paying in travel and and 
you know, yeah. all these fees now. I hear that often, but I reject that on its face because I think the value of the sport, you, you can't look at. And I, I, but I you don't f- need to spend $12,000 a year I, I, I don't. Soccer. I don't disagree with it's that. It's bizarre. I, don't, I agree with you on that front, but I'm, my comment more is that you can't look at youth soccer as an investment. That's Correct. not an intention. I agree. I, I mean, agree it is an investment. It's an investment, not a financial one. But do you, um, you, it's an investment you, in experience Soccer and, needs and to be accessible to everybody. Agreed. That's, I mean, it's... I've heard that phrase from from somebody, you know, very well connected in the pro scene in Brazil. It's more a reality there than it is here. But they say high level sports are for poor people because they will have the extra hunger because they need it to escape poverty. I mean, that soccer needs to be accessible to to these people. And you know, I have a I have a kid on on my team who has a brother who plays for Sporting KC Academy, and is not getting much playing time um, right now. And the families look moving to move. They already moved from St. Louis to Kansas City for the kid to play, and now they're looking. You know, if he can, he he gets cut from the team. They are looking to moving to another city, another state, to see if he can get an academy because they're. It's just so limited the mm-hmm. access that they, the United States have. You go to Brazil, you go to Rio, you have just in Rio like forty academies. You know, it, it, here with all this travel and all that kind of stuff, I, you're putting specific entities in a very selected group, and you're limiting the access to everybody. If every city put their best players together and made a, a competition, you can find competition. Hardland could be a fantastic league, but teams are not playing Hardland because they don't want to play against uh, my Legends team because they don't want to lose and lose players to Legends team. So some teams are literally just doing their regional stuff, and then they get some success, and they're like, okay, it's all good. They, they come to stay Cup, and they don't even get out of the group phase. You know what I mean? So it's it's just sad. It's just sad that People are choosing that path instead. Like we have competition in our backyard, we can have that, but we're choosing not to because of those reasons. And, and here's here's the uh, the kind of perverse thing. When there was one method of playing games and you know developing teams, and and there weren't all these other membership organizations like the ECNL and the DA, all these country clubs. Yeah, when the, when those country clubs that are incredibly expensive didn't exist, every weekend your team had a great game. Because, you know, if we put you in a tournament and the tournament wasn't at the highest level, so we weren't playing other teams from around the nation at your level, we played a year up. Or two. Yeah. You know, we, we played up as far as we needed to so that you guys would know that you could be beaten Mm -hmm. and you had to give every ounce of what you gave. So we were always able to find a level that was incredibly challenging for you as a player without spending thousands of dollars to get on planes and go and play in the ECNL. And over the last few years, because this is what I do, I've tracked a lot of the ECNL competitions. The lopsidedness in, in games is frightening. You know, you wa- you watch the ECNL competitions around the country, and until they get to the the national finals where everybody is actually pretty good and at a somewhat similar level, you know they're beating teams by twelve goals to zero, sixteen goals to zero, because no club has the ability to put across the board 
a great team in every age group into the competition. So you might have a club that has a great under-14 girls team, but their under-15 girls team is average to terrible. Mm -hmm. But they're in the ECNL, so the under-15 girls team goes to regional competition, spends thousands of dollars to go there, stay in hotels, and the games are double-figure differences, you know, where nobody gets any benefit. You know what some clubs are doing to avoid that? They're borrowing teams from other clubs. We have a team on our club that is playing for another club just to get a few extra games because the team in their age group doesn't have a good team. So, I mean, how bad does that look for a club? They're having to go, they're telling their team on their age group, you guys, sorry, we're not developing you, you're not good enough. We're going to borrow this other club's team because they're better. So our brand can you know, showing the score that we're competitive. I don't it's think it's just so I don't ridiculous. think it looks as bad on on that of any specific club as it does on us as a collective. The fact that we're creating leagues and and country clubs where if you don't have the right the right name, you're not getting in. Regard and but if you do got the right name, you're getting in regardless of how good you are, or regardless of how well you're developing players. It just it limits everything. And so as the women's national team continues to the gap closes in Spain and some of the other, you know, some of the other countries catch up with the United States women's national team. I think I think we can look inward and say, look, we've continued to invest poorly in 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 the sport. And and we can look at our national leagues as a perfect example of, of one of the two reasons, the two biggest reasons that we're getting caught up. That's one. And the other is the rest of the, the world is, is investing to a greater degree in the women's game. We're, we're, but part of it is we're doing it to ourselves. Mm hmm. Can can we pivot back to tryouts? Tryouts. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, I think we spent enough time on the ECNL, and I, I wanted to point this out. Um, we were talking about these showcases, uh, you know, and our players getting recognised and, and recruited to play in college. And I wanted to read this: the extra time that a college coach spends watching the ball wizard, when combined with the extra time that the ball wizard has on the ball, due to their elite skill is crucial to maximizing the opportunity of being selected for a higher level team. So, and this is such an obvious point, but a lot of people don't get this. When you watch uh, Paris Saint-Germain and you watch one of their defenders versus Neymar or Mbappe, Neymar and Mbappe get 10 times on the ball. Because the defender gets the ball and passes it quickly out of the danger zone to Neymar and Mbappe. And then Neymar and Mbappe will go 50 yards and score or get an assist. And so in one play sometimes, Neymar and Mbappe will get the total amount of time on the ball that other players get in the whole game. One play. And they will eclipse the time on the ball that players that uh, you know have to get rid of it quickly under pressure at the back actually get on the ball during the whole game. That's the value of what we do. We create the Neymars. We create the Mbappes. Inevitably, when we're creating those players, they get more time on the ball, and they're very special. They're going to get recruited to the next level of play. And who makes more money on PSG? <laughs> and this is one of the crazy things. you know. Who makes more money? Who's more famous? Who brings more fans into the stand? You know, who, who continues kids, to get better over who a make, longer who period Who makes of time. kids love the game? Who makes, yeah. you know? Is it Leo Messi? 
or is it I don't even know their defenders' names? Mm-hmm. You know, that's how important they are. You know, my twelve-year-old son does, but <laughs> yeah, you know, unless you're a fan of PSG, you know, you you know maybe Messi, you know Neymar, and you know Mbappe and Di Maria, right? Mm-hmm. And the rest, ah, whatever. You know, it's because they're not able to do the special thing. They don't spend as much time on the ball. They're not able to win a game for their team. You know, they're just robots. You know, that that machine quote, you know, versus one yeah. extraordinary man, you know, you know, m- the teams that win most things have got multiple extraordinary men, mm-hmm. like the Brazilian team of 1970 or 1982, and they didn't even win it. They went out in the quarterfinal, the World Cup, you know, but they had a whole bunch of extraordinary men. And, you know, in Brazil and around the world, they're famous, super famous. You know, I could name you way more players off of the 1982 team that only got to the quarterfinals, as opposed to the 1994 team that won the big dance. You know, and what does that tell you? You know, winning only has so much value. You forget things more as you get older. Hey, you didn't have to go there. What's your name? <laughs> Who are you? Hey, <laughs> Bra- hey Brazil's coming back, Andy. Brazil's coming back. Uh, the, the, did you favorite, watch? Did the, you watch the highlights against Korea? It was beautiful. The, the, the I think Argentina is coming back. No. No way. I think Argentina. <laughs> no after this, after this I'm last getting weekend, Argentina jersey for no the next way. World Cup. No, yeah, just to yeah. wear on the podcast next. I got, I, I got, I got, I got, I got a Brazilian jersey. <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a joke. It says, "My husband is Brazilian. I can do anything." <laughs> so I've, I've also got another thing that I wanted to read. An added benefit of the training soccer legends approach comes from the inability of the opposing coach to single out one or two key legends players. Our players and man-mark those players to the detriment of the team. In the showcase game against Michigan, the Michigan State champions, the opposing coach initially assigned his best man-marker to Jesse Baker, and that was the story that you told. Yeah. That extra time on the ball, that inability of the coach to you know, put you know, the, the strongest defender on his team onto one player means right, that our players get, if they're all on the same team and they're all good and they're all dribblers, you know, they get a much clearer path to a college scholarship to get on a national team with our team because when they play against other teams, you know, they are in a situation where they're the only player mm-hmm. that is going to, you know, a player like you, you play for another team, you know, at the club level, you know, in no time at all, because you were crazy dribbling, shooting, taking people on. In no time at all, the other coach is putting somebody on you. Whether he does it like the French coach from Rochester Knights, you by know, whistling. Oh yeah, by whistling and and you know, telling his Nanderthal to the, to like telling to, dra- to to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, literally his ne- Neanderthal. Like, oh, <laughs> you, uh, and you he, call? And he, he, uh, he, he he picked up his big prehistoric club <laughs> and, and started thugging Jesse Baker. You know, and you know, it was just it was it was laughable. You know, and it's so obvious. But when you've got multiple players like that, they can't do that to you. And that's what we do with all of our teams. So everybody gets a chance to shine because they're not able to just put their strongest player, you know, on your strongest player. But, you know, we did have a situation. just happened. Um, our, our, red, our, our 2009 red team went to Florida and won the Supercoppa. And the girls, yeah, 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 and they beat five ECNL teams to win the Super Cup, including the Chicago Eclipse, who are third in the nation, ranked third in the nation. 
And uh, and so they get to the final, and J.C. Hackler, who's just incredibly special athlete as well as an incredibly you know good legends trained player. She's got both. She's got the dribbling skills, the deception yep. on the ball. She can shoot from fifty yards. Scores goals from kickoffs. And she's yeah. an athlete. She's just a, like just so athletic. Mum and dad both were KU track athletes. Yep. You know, and the dad used to play for me. So there's the culture there as well, the history in the club. There's so much that makes goes into making a player. And she's got just about all of it in her background, et cetera. You know, and so, um, you know, JC, uh, you know, she was able to be dominant against that ECNL type program, you know, even though they put their best two defenders on her, you know, and apparently um, one of our parents overheard the coach of the team that they played in the final, the Chicago Eclipse, saying, we're putting two players on her. And when she gets the ball, we're collapsing the third on her as well. Guess what happened? She she sucked in three players. She beat you know two or three players leading up to do an incredible Maradona turn and threading through these three players that were surrounding her, and then committed the goalie and slid the ball off. The the most incredible assist I've probably seen in my life at any level of soccer. I'll I'll share it on our socials uh, um, because it's it's <laughs> a fantastic goal. Well, yeah, and and she was the assist. You know, mm-hmm. and usually she's the goal scorer. But in this one, she was the one that did amazing stuff, yep. you know, picked up the ball in her own half, you know, went the whole length of the field, did moves, beat players, you know, threaded the needle between three people that were all trying to mark her, you know, and, you know, to the, the you know, the, one of her teammates who, who honestly couldn't miss. It was a good finish, but it was one of those that, you know, straightforward. she would have been shot at dawn if she'd missed it, you know, <laughs> you know, because JC did all of this work and she got all of this attention. Well, it, you're you've got it made in the shade when you've got one of those on your team, you know. If you've got a whole team, mm. it's Katie by the door, and that's what we produce. Even if you know one player like JC is extremely fast, as well as being an unbelievable dribbler, as well as being an incredible finisher, you know. But you know, you, you, we've got slower, slower players that just are incredible with the ball at their feet and can finish like demons, you know. And it, it helps everybody because the opposition can't key in mm-hmm. just on JC. And when they do, she can just provide a teammate with an opportunity that wins, helps the team win the tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, as we start to wind this down, um, uh, Andy or Philippe, do you have any last thoughts that you wanted to make sure that, that we discuss as we talk about like the value yeah. of, of tryout players? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. So my 81-82 team, you know, and, and we had a number of players that you know went on and played pro, and we had Ryan Barber that played for the Canadian national team, and you know it was a great team, and and you know they were all fantastic dribblers and goal scorers, and and uh, you know the it, we went to uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, we just had terrible luck with injuries that we had not had before going to the regional, regionals, regional championship, region yep. two championship. So we win this, we're in the final four you know, at Disney's World Order Sports, you know, and under 17. So, the, you know, these are kids that in other countries are in pro programs, you know, but in those days, you know, MLS didn't have a youth pro you know, side, so they're playing for club. And so, you know, we, 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 uh, we, we play um, with four key injuries. I mean, Amos Morero was one of them. He was a center striker and he'd, uh, he'd torn his ACL, which is pretty rare in boys' soccer. You know, and uh, Brendan Matthews was out, and he was a regional team player and just had a left foot to die for. Um, I can't remember the other people. We had like three or four, uh, you know, incredibly devastating injuries to any normal team. We went on and we won the regional championship. 
because we trained everybody to be that dribbler and goal scorer. So if one player got injured, so what? You know, we had 18 of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so having four major injuries still left us four, 14, 13 great field players and a goalkeeper who was also great. You know, because that goalkeeper had faced more one-on-ones, you know, more had to make more diving saves and more reaction saves because of our philosophy. So our goalkeepers became incredible. I've never had a goalkeeper that didn't get a college scholarship. Well, this one was six foot twelve too, which I think helps. Yeah, well, he was seven foot twelve. Okay. You know, but, but you know, he was a big lad, Zach Brennan. You know, and, and great keeper played D one all through Drake. And if it hadn't been for the, you know, it was a bit early days for MLS, he would have gone on and had a full pro career, I'm sure. You know, and uh, and we had you know one equally as good, Bo Williams, on the show, you know, yeah. a, a few months ago. You know, and uh, you know, but you know, the the point is that it didn't matter because all of our players were so good with the ball at their feet, could score great goals, and because they could do these things and they've been doing it for years, their self concept was incredible. They didn't care they had four players out. In fact, I think some of them. You know, liked the fact that they were going to get more playing time because I played equal playing time all the way through every tournament we ever played in. I didn't leave my best players on in order to win the games. You know, and this is a good story. We made it to the final four because we won that regional championship. And the night before our first game, I called a team meeting. And I said, guys, you guys have never been at the final four before. You know, I know how much you want to win this. You know, the parents are all there. The kids are all there in this hotel room. You know, and I said, so what we're going to do just once, just for this tournament, we're abandoning our equal playing time philosophy because we want to win this. So I'm going to take the responsibility. I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to pick just our best 11 players and we're going to stay with that group. And maybe you won't get into the game, you know, because we're going to do it differently this time. You know, and they did everything, called me everything. You know, the only thing they didn't do is actually lynch me you know, for even suggesting that we would be thinking about, you know, shooting their teammates in the foot if they weren't going to be playing on the top 11, you know. And and I took it. There was actually some cuss words thrown around. You From know. Jeff Miles, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and others you, you know, that you know about. There's certain people that, you know, were, didn't hold back when they, you know, they had a difference of opinion and shouldn't have held back in this instance, definitely. And I let them just abuse me for a while and, you know, and I was like, uh, April Fool's. and and you know i wanted to pump them up make them realize how much of a team and how different they were so i told them that we were going to break our pact you know and i was just you know having a lark you know but with a purpose you know i wanted to get them you know to out of their comfort zone you know realize they've got something special and fight for each other because they really were a family not just a team Mm. you know and it was gratifying to see their response that the parents were just shocked that I would ever do anything like that and go against my principles, you know. And and it was a very telling thing because we truly became a team over the years where every one of them had each other's backs. That team culture was special. It was was probably the strongest team culture I've ever had. And they they went on to win at under-20 the national championship. We, We became third under-17, some of the kids got to drinking when they were under 18 in their last year in high school and we actually blew a game and didn't even win the state championship but under 19 uh, they were second in the nation and under 20 they won the big dance and they won the big dance by a significant margin you know so they were national champions you know and but every one of them could beat an opponent and score a great goal 
you know, you trained with them for years, yep. you know, and they were frightening, weren't they? Yeah. You know, you look, you know, go to, it must have been so intimidating for you being two years younger, turning up for training and knowing you're going up against the Canadian national team champion as a youth player. Yeah, because he'd catch me blind. I'd be chasing the ball down in one corner, and then out of nowhere, Ryan Barber would be running the other way, not see me, but uh, that collision was won by him every time. Well, he was huge. Yeah. <laughs> or Drew Perkins or Amos. Like, there were plenty of them. Yeah, but they were, they were also players that were really small. You know, yeah. you had Jeff Miles was small, Jeff Steinke was small, Alan yeah. Greenberg was small, Brad Casper was Chucky small. Chucky was small. Yeah, but, but they were incredible with the ball. They were like Leo Messi. They just didn't hurt as bad when you ran into them. Yeah, you know, so you know, it wasn't about size and strength, but across the board with that team, I just mentioned five players that were really, you know, relatively tiny. Yeah, you know, but they were absolutely fierce because we'd, since they were six and seven, we'd trained them in the one on ones. So you know, they were frothing at the mouth when they got to game time, of course, to do amazing things. You know, so everything we talk about isn't from a theory perspective; it's from decades of personal positive experience. You know, and players that have gone on and played, you know, uh, you know, all over the world at the highest levels, you know, and had amazing careers in college and got their education paid for. And, you know, and just, you know, but only because we focused on their individual development. Does that make sense? Yeah, we, fo- we focused on in, uh, maximizing their ability to hit their ceiling, which, uh, is, which is our responsibility. One, of, one of the things that I see so much here in the Legends Club is the players that leave us they always make teams in higher divisions elsewhere because they stand out in tryouts. Yeah. I've had so many players over the years that, you know, they wanted to make my top team and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're getting better, but you're not there yet. Or nobody on the team is leaving. I'm not moving anybody down, you know, there's, you know, and I think you're in a good spot right now and they get, you know, go try out somewhere else and they are on a D4 team and they get off their D1 team. So they go, Right. But why are they getting that look for the one team? Because they stand out in tryouts. Even our kids that are on lower divisions still have some ways to go development-wise. They stand out against the top competition elsewhere because of what they do different in the few days of tryouts. And, you know, it always happens. And the better part of it is even when these pre-academy teams that I've coached have these players leave and I'm like, crap my team is going to get worse it doesn't because the kids that are coming from the third team are developing at the same degree the same way the same philosophy and they get there and they stand up stand out they do well and like for example on my own eyes my pre-academy team was a d4 team now it's d2 pushing to also join my first team in d1 and i've lost players that went to D1's teams and I'm brought kids from the third team and the team keeps getting better, keeps growing because what we're doing is right. And it works, yeah. We, are we getting ready to wrap yeah, things we're, up? Yeah, we're wrapping. I, I got to cover these things okay. before we wrap up. So bear with me. Um, this is the first one. If you are going to make it to a higher level of play, you have to stand out at the current one. In order to stand out, you must have the ability to make big, creative plays. There are many types of big plays. However, the ones prized highest by most coaches are those that create penetration for their team. Scoring a goal is the ultimate big play. Second to scoring comes the assist. The player who combines deceptive dribbling with penetrating passes to create her own opportunities to score and scoring opportunities for others 
is the ultimate big playmaker. However, no one will ever scale the heights of deceptive dribbling and goal scoring without one, taking great risks to beat players, two, trying to thread the assist pass through the defense, three, attempting the most difficult shots under intense defensive pressure. Tremendous risk and failure is the only possible foundation for this type of success, which is why great dribblers and goal scorers are so rare. Most players and coaches perceive statistical failure as a personal blow to their ego. One of the most challenging parts of existence is that people project their own values onto others. Unfortunately, many are motivated more by what's in it for them and therefore attribute this value judgment to the majority. Do the right thing with no regard to self-interest in all matters and life will reward you with the riches of the spirit in abundance. To eventually realize the vastly greater rewards of individual creative brilliance, in the case of the players, and the true lasting pleasure of constructive mentorship, in the case of the coach, a positive welcoming of risk and failure is vital. And finally, this quote by Bertrand Russell. It is because modern education is so seldom inspired by great hope that it is so seldom capable of achieving great results. The wish to preserve the past rather than the hope of creating the future dominates the minds of those who control the teaching of the young. Winning is the wish to preserve the past. Mm -hmm. You know, the feeling that you're better because you were part of something that won something mm -hmm. but it robs the future and that's what we will not do to our players we're going to create those tryout players those risk takers those leaders what parent doesn't want their kid to be what i just said the risk taker the leader the brave creative player the one that is willing to take on a huge challenge in life you know, and find a way to beat it. I just spent, you know, two weeks in Egypt with my fourth-born daughter. All my daughters are out of the box. They're crazy. She's living in Dahab, Egypt. She's a, she's a wonderful vegan activist doing wonderful things for, for raising the uh, awareness of the cruelty that the animals have to suffer in order to feed us. You know, and, you know, and she's living in a place that is just misogynistic in a lot of ways. You know, and way more misogynistic than the U.S. could ever be, probably. You know, and you know, and there's nothing against a lot of Egyptian people. I met some wonderful people while over there, but it's just the way it is over there compared to over here. And she's a female, you know, and you know, she gets exposed to misogyny almost on an hourly basis in that society. You know, I spent two weeks with her. She got hit on left and right. Her and my other daughter Holly. You know, and so it it was it was interesting. The whole experience was interesting. But she's brave and she's creative and she's willing to live, you know, in, in, a, in a crazy different way because she's never been really afraid of anything in her life because she was brought up to be a Legends player. Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. Don't we all want that for our kids? We want them to go out and tackle the world and not be afraid. Yeah, and be their own person, right? Yep. Yep. You know, we don't want to control them. We don't want to follow exactly what we do. You know, you know, is, you know my, my father worked on a, sh a factory floor for the whole of his career, you know, putting car doors on car bodies, 
you know, did he want me to follow him or to be my own unique me? You know, the answer is obvious. He didn't want me to do what he did. He hated the prison sentence. Imagine working in a mine, you know, like our Ashington story. Yeah. You know, Jack Charlton went down a mine for a couple of years when he was 14, 15, before he became a pro soccer player. You know, do you think it was better being a pro soccer player than being down in the darkness? You know, of course it was. You know, we've got to get out of the box. We've got to do amazing things. We've got to tell our kids how they can spread their wings, you know, how they can fly. You know, we, we, we can't keep our, our players underground. They're not moles. You know, they are eagles. They mm -hmm. soar. You know, and that's what we do with players. We help them to soar. That's what all coaches should do. I love it. All right, guys, next time, next time we're together on a mic, it'll be post-tryouts, which will feel good, and then we'll be off to the races. But thanks, Andy. Thanks, Philippe. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's All been right. fun. It always is fun. See you, guys. See you. Bye.